I'm grateful that you're here today. I don't want to build my life on the ever-changing sand of the culture around me. I want to build my life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. He is our firm foundation. He is our cornerstone. He is our stability today. Do you believe it this morning? I'm grateful that you're here. It's going to be a great day, but can we just pause for a second? and rejoice and celebrate what God did last Sunday on Open House Sunday. 11 people praying to accept Christ. That's what it's all about. Reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And that's why on October 23rd, we're making room for more and we're adding a third service at Rock Hill and I'm excited about that. The new service times will be 8.30, 10 and 11.30. And so you'll kind of have to get acclimated to the new schedule. How many of you think that you would go to the 8.30 service? Anybody like that? How many of you think that you would go to the 10 o'clock service? Anybody for the 11.30? Now, those of you that say 11.30, why are you here right now at 9 o'clock? You're just going to go to all of them. And I'm looking forward to what God is going to do on October 23rd. It's going to be a great day. And I'm excited this morning to continue our study in the book of Colossians. And uh, we started this new collection of messages last week that we're calling More Than Enough. And the reason we're calling this series More Than Enough is because Jesus truly is more than enough. And in case you're wondering, why I preach through Colossians and why are we preaching this series in this moment? Uh, because I want our church family to get a hold of who Jesus is. What is this series about? Jesus. Jesus is enough. And so that's what this series is about. You can go ahead and find a seat this morning. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 today. And it does not matter what I have to say, but we do believe that the Word of God is perfect and infallible and inspired. And it does matter what God has to say. And so we're going to look to His Word. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open. If you need a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. Most of the verses will be on the screen as well today, but we want to make sure that we're able to follow along. And uh, so much theological truth in the passage that we're going to be studying today. And uh, this is definitely a week that I would encourage you to have a pen and to write some things down uh, because we're going to move quickly and uh, we're going to cover a lot of territory. And I'm praying that this message can be a blessing for us today. And so Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Last week we stopped in verse number 14, so we're going to pick it up in verse number 15. If you're ready... Would you say ready? ready? All right, verse number 15. Who? Jesus. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things. Everybody say all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. And that's what we sang about this morning. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And having made peace through...
the blood of the cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if you continue in the faith grounded and settled everybody look to your neighbor and say grounded look to your second choice and say settled grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which preached which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I Paul and made a minister Paul says I want you to be grounded and settled and not moved away and it's that and I want to preach a message this morning with this subject unshakable faith unshakable faith let's have a word of prayer together today Lord thank you so much for this day that you've given us God thank you for this opportunity that we can come together and we can lift high your name we can worship you Lord thank you for the songs that we sung today that perfectly align with these verses that we're studying that we will not be shaken that we will build our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus and that we will not be shaken Lord, I pray that we would recognize today that we have nothing to boast about but you and you alone. And Lord, I pray that as we look to this text that you would speak to us, that you would uh, allow us to understand uh, how this text applies to us today, and that we can leave this place differently because of it. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Growing up, our church always went to a men and boys camp out. And I remember being young and looking forward every year to this men and boys camp out. It was something that I was very excited about. I got together with all my friends and we got to go exploring and go on hikes and adventures. And I remember one particular year, I was in elementary and my dad and I, we were driving up to the Sierra Nevada mountains and uh, we were getting ready for this men and boys camp out. And we stopped at a store and it was kind of an antique old country store and my dad in that store bought me my first ever real knife and it was not a pocket knife it was a knife with like this leather sleeve and i thought this was the most amazing thing that i had ever seen and i thought this was so cool that i was gonna you know uh, carve out things and i was gonna have this awesome knife knife with this leather case and i was so excited the only problem was when i got to the camp i was kind of excited that i was kind of showing people too quickly just pulling out my knife on them and uh, uh we were playing down by the river with some of my friends and i thought as though they were misbehaving and so i pulled out my knife and just said hey wasn't going to do anything. I just wanted to show them that I had some authority, right? There's a new sheriff in town with this knife. And I, I just pulled out my knife and I said, hey. And a parent saw me doing that, went and told my dad. My dad took the knife and he threw it in the river and I've never seen it again. I only had that knife for about four hours. <laughs> It was a great four hours, though. Uh, every year at this Men and Boys camp out, we would go on hikes, and uh, we would climb up different mountains in different areas. And uh, one of the mountains that we always loved to climb was this little mountain called Elephant's Knob. And I have a picture of it this morning. Uh, we would climb this mountain. I think we have a picture of it this morning. There it is, Elephant's Knob. And this mountain was actually very uh, easy to climb. Uh, up the front, maybe a little bit more difficult, but uh, on the backside, you could literally just walk up this mountain. So it was kind of, kind of a nice little uh, mountain, nice little hike. But uh, one year, there were some guys that kind of wanted to up the ante a little bit to kind of have a little bit more adventure. And so they decided, we're not going to hike up Elephant Snob. Uh, we're going to go across the way, the same campground. Uh, but we're going to go across the way. We're going to hike a new mountain, Sentinel Peak. I think we have a picture of this one this morning. We decided to hike this mountain. Now... 
This mountain is a lot more dangerous, uh, has some treacherous areas, and we woke up really early in the morning, this group of guys, and, and uh, we started to climb up, and things were going pretty well. But once you got towards the top, there's a couple of areas where you have to round corners, and you're, you have to put your chest against the, against the side of the mountain because there's only about a 12-inch ledge, and there's a big drop-off on the other side. How many of you are afraid of heights this morning? Anybody like that? And so uh, you're kind of just uh, up against the edge, and, and uh, you have to be very careful. And I didn't want to look, and we kind of just made around those edges pretty quickly. But when we got to the top, before you could get to the very top of Sentinel Peak, before you could stand on the very top, the only way that you can get there is they bolted this steel ladder to the side of the mountain. And it's about 15 feet high. And you had to climb up this ladder that was bolted into the rock. And so uh, we were going up and it was my turn to go up uh, this ladder. And I got up the ladder, I started to make it up. And I got about halfway up the ladder. And it's the first time in my life when I can remember my body start to shake. And I got nervous. I got really scared. I started to look around, and I started to shake a little bit. And I was holding on for dear life to that ladder about halfway. I didn't know what to do. Should I try to go back down? That looks scary. And I don't want to climb all the way up to the top. And eventually, the guys that, there, uh, that were at the top were encouraging me. Come on, Matt. You can do it. Come on. Uh, make it up. And so eventually, I made it to the top. And the views were beautiful. And it was great. Uh, but in that moment, I was certainly shaking uh, there on that ladder. You know, the reality is for all of us today, as we journey throughout life, we will have moments when our faith is shaken. We will have moments of trepidation and fear and uncertainty and anxiety when we don't know whether to move forward or to retreat. And we're kind of navigating a season of disorientation where our faith is shaken. Uh, Maybe it's when a leader in your life that you looked up to, maybe a spiritual leader that you admired greatly falls into sin, and then your faith is shaken. I never thought it would happen to them. Maybe it's when your college professor uh, starts to introduce to you some new concepts and ask you some questions that you never thought about before, and you don't know the answers to those questions, and now all of a sudden you're at a moment in life when your faith is shaken. Maybe it's when you get a health uh, test or a diagnosis with your health that was out of nowhere, that was unexpected, and all of a sudden your faith is shaken. It's in these moments that we have to be very careful how we respond. It is of utmost importance that we respond the correct way because the circumstances in life that shake you will be the circumstances in life that shape you. Did you track that? I'm going to say it again just in case you missed it. The circumstances in life that shake you will be the circumstances that shape you. This is why we have to have unshakable faith, that we can move forward with confidence in the plan and the calling that God has for us. What did David say in the book of Acts? David is quoted in Acts chapter 2, verse number 25. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand. This was a picture of uh, strength. In the Bible, the right hand was always a picture of strength. Uh, For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved, that I should not be shaken. And David had this confidence where he would just say, you know what, I'm not going to be shaken. I thought that, and I thought that's interesting. Because it seems like David, if anyone, in the book of Psalms, there was a constant roller coaster of emotions, right? He was constantly up, constantly down, and uh, constantly vacillating between uh, uh, his emotions. But somewhere along the way, David just realized, hey, I can have an unshakable faith. I will not be shaken. And so the question that I have for us today is where do you find stability for your faith? 
How can you find an anchor that when the storms of life come and when, when circumstances are not favorable surround you, how can you find that kind of stability, that kind of, uh, that, that, that kind of just unshakable nature to your thinking? Well, to answer that question, we come to Colossians chapter number one. Interestingly, the town of Colossae was located in a region that was known for earthquakes. And so they knew all about earthquakes. Now, in California, we get our fair share of earthquakes. And uh, the last earthquake that we had several months ago, I thought our dog was jumping on the bed and I was yelling at him to get down. Turns, turns out he was just downstairs and it was an earthquake. And uh, we, we have our fair share of earthquakes, but we also have some technology advances to help protect us uh, from these earthquakes. Several years ago, I saw uh, there was this new earthquake-proof bed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this? There's an earthquake. You can buy a bed. Any, no, anybody seen this? Wow, you're in for a treat this morning, okay? And uh, I, brought a short, I brought a short clip to kind of show us what an earthquake-proof bed is. All right, let's check out this clip. Now, that seems more awful to me than the earthquake, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the earthquake, I'm going to take my chances, right? I don't want to like, get sunk in that claustrophobic coffin, you know, and uh, be protected in that. But we have these advances, right, that can help us during an earthquake. I can, I can tell you with certainty that the city of Colossae, they did not have an earthquake-proof bed, okay? They were fully aware of the dangers of an earthquake. They, they were fully aware of this in this town. And so Paul kind of uses that to get their attention. And this is what he says in verse number 20. He says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away. Uh, that phrase, be not moved away, it literally means to not be earthquake stricken. He says, I don't want your lives to fall apart. I don't want you to be shaken and moved and earthquake stricken. I want you to be able to be grounded and settled. And as I consider uh, the culture today, even, uh, even Christian culture today, what we often see is the ups and the downs and committed and not committed. And I'm feeling good and I'm feeling bad. And we're constantly uh, wavering and vacillating. And Paul says, I want you to be grounded and settled. And so, as we look to Colossians chapter 1, and as we finish out this chapter today, what I want to do is I want to give us three very simple actions that can help us get grounded and settled and cultivate an unshakable faith. Would that be okay this morning? Three simple actions with three specific applications, okay? Number one is this, if you're taking notes today. The first, the first action is this, adjust your focus. Adjust your focus. Now, let's pick it up in verse number 15. It says this, who? Now, when he says who, who is he talking about? Jesus, that is correct. The context here, he's talking about Jesus Christ. We saw that last week. And so he says who in verse 15, Jesus is the image. Everybody say image. He's the image of the invisible God. Uh, the word image, that, that's something that we look to. Uh, he's saying focus on this, focus on this image. The word image in the, in the Greek, it's where we get our word icon. An icon is something that helps us recognize what something is. Uh, we can look at an icon and understand what it is. In fact, throw up the next uh, slide. This would be uh, an icon. There it is. Let's give it up for our tech team today. Very good. We, we can see this icon and we know what it represents. We know what it means. And so what Paul is saying is Jesus is the image. He is the icon. He is the, the visible image of an invisible God. What he's saying is that Jesus Christ is not just a person, a prophet, a good teacher. Jesus is God in the flesh. He, he's the image of the invisible God. And then at the end of the verse, in verse number 15, notice what he says. He says, the firstborn 
of every creature. Now, firstborn here is not speaking of chronological order. It's not just talking about the oldest in the family. If you study the scripture all throughout the Bible, there will be a term given, the firstborn, and it's talking about the ranking one, the superior one. In fact, as an example, David in the book of Psalms was called the firstborn. Now, we know that David was actually the youngest in the family. And so it's not talking about chronological order. It's talking about the ranking one, the supreme one. And so Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and he is the ranking one. He is the supreme ruler over all of the universe. He is sovereign. Are you tracking with me so far today? And so he's saying, adjust your focus. Fix your eyes on the image of the invisible God, Jesus. And if you do that, you will see two things. Two things that I believe are very powerful that can help us when our faith is shaken. Uh, Number one, we're going to see underneath this today, we're going to see his creative power. You fix your eyes on Jesus, you'll see his creative power. I want you to see it starting in verse 16. It says this, for by him were all things created, all things. Now, this was a knock to the false ideology of, of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was this, was this false belief that said all matter, all flesh was evil. All flesh, anything that was flesh was evil. Only that which was mystical, only that which was spiritual is what mattered. And so they believed that all flesh was, was evil. And Paul says, no, Jesus created all things. Verse 16, all things created that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And what do we see? We see the creative power of our God. I'm thankful today that the God that we worship is a creative God. You know, we value creativity. When our kids are creative and they draw a picture and when they write a poem, when they do these things, we see that this creativity is simply a, refle- a reflection of their heavenly father who is creative. And so we see his creative power that Jesus in his power has created all things. Romans 1.20 says this, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. When you look at creation... All the things that we clearly see, the creation points us to a creator. The creation points us to a creator. There is a designer. The things that are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Can I tell you? When you feel shaken in life, when you feel discouraged in life, when you feel like, man, I just have anxiety, I don't know if I can move on, and you're trying to figure things out, hey, it might be good for you to take a hike in God's creation. Go, go up into a mountain. Take a walk on the beach. Uh, reflect a beautiful California sunset and be reminded that your God is all-powerful, that your God created all things, and you can focus on the size of your problems or you can focus on the scope of his power and recognize that there is nothing too hard for him. He's created it all. Isaac Newton was one of the most brilliant men to ever live. Uh, men to ever live. He he invented calculus. He formulated the theory of gravity. Uh, Isaac Newton did so many wonderful things. And one day there was an atheist that walked into Isaac Newton's office and he saw a model of the solar system. And his friend said, "Man, that's a really impressive, impressive model of the sun, the planet, the moon, the stars." And he said, "Who made that?" And Isaac Newton was kind of being facetious in his response, and he said, "Nobody." And his friend who was atheist said, I know that someone had to make this. There was a designer. Who was it? And Isaac Newton responded by saying this, this thing is but a puny imitation of a grander system. And I am not able to convince you that this mere toy is without a designer and maker. What was he saying? 
that creation points us to a creator. Creation points us to a designer. There is intelligent design that we see uh, that there is a designer. Uh, there's a Dutch uh, theologian named Abraham Kuyper, and he said this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain over our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. All things were created by him and for him. Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. He is the supreme ruler, the ranking one. And so he's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus, his creative power. Notice verse number 17. He says this, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. All things consist. Now, the word consist there is this word uh, synestomy. It means this, to hold together. Is everybody doing okay this morning? Everybody tracking with me? To hold it together. He's saying, he's saying in verse 17 that he's before all things, and by him all things consist. He holds all things together. Now, this is wonderful news because so often in life we feel like, man, everything's falling apart. I'm just trying to hold. This is such good news because if he's holding it all together, it means you don't have to. Daniel, can you come up here for a second? I'm going to have Daniel help me illustrate this this morning. So often in life, we have so many things that we're trying to do. We're trying to balance in life. We talked about this last week with, with the balance uh, wheel of life. We have so many different things that we're trying to do. Uh, Daniel's a hard worker. He's going he's gonna to have this iPad because this is going to represent his work. And uh, uh, Daniel's going to read some books because in life often we're, oh, he's on the phone. He's very busy. He's not even listening to me as I'm talking right now. He's on the phone. And, uh, and uh, he's got his books because he's trying to learn. He's going to school and, and has taken some classes. And so he has some books here that he's going to have. And, and uh, Daniel doesn't uh, work hard enough, so he needs to have a laptop as well, in addition to his phone and his iPad. So he's trying to, he's trying to work as hard as he possibly can. And, and uh, here's a cup uh, for some coffee, because you need to make sure that you have that fuel to keep going. Any coffee drinkers in the room today? Okay. And uh, he's trying to have coffee. And then, you know, his kids play sports. And so uh, he's got to make sure that he is taking the kids to practice and taking them to sports. And his other kids play other sports. And so he's taking them to practice. And, and uh, Daniel's a good Christian. So he's serving on the dream team, too. And uh, he's trying to balance serving. And he's trying to balance taking his kids to sports. And he's trying to hold it all together. And then he's like, man, I've got to have some family time. So we're going to have a family game night. And he's going to try to hold all this together. And often this is what we look like. We're trying to hold it all together. Can I encourage you today to stop trying to hold it all together and let Jesus hold you. By him, all things consist. He is holding it all together so we don't have to. We can prioritize Jesus first because he has creative power and he's holding it all together. So often we can be so concerned with what's going on in the world. Man, everything's just falling apart. How many of you have heard somebody say something like that in the last month? Man, things are just crazy out there. You know, a lot of times, I always think, you know, I always respond. If I don't know what to say to someone, they, they give me a statement. And I'm like, I'm not sure exactly what they mean by that. Here's a safe answer that you can give. Man, that's crazy. <laughs> that's my trick. Someone texts me something. I'm not sure what you mean, but that's crazy, man. I don't, things are just crazy right now. And uh, often we can look at the world. Everything's just crazy. Everything's falling. The sky is falling, but Jesus holds it all together. Aren't you thankful for his power this morning? That by him all things consist. He holds it all together. But then it goes on to verse number 18. Now, now Paul's just giving us a crash course on who Jesus is and his power. And I don't know about you, but there's just nothing better that we could talk about this morning than Jesus and his power and his love for us. And so he's going to go on in verse number 18. He says this, and he is the head of the body. He's the head of the body. 
Now, there's different word pictures in the Bible for church. The church is compared to a building. We are the bricks in that building. Jesus is the cornerstone. He, he is the foundation. Uh, the church is compared to a bride. Uh, we're called the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. Here, the church is compared to a body, and Christ is the head. He is the head of the church. That means that no one else, no human being is the head of the church. No pastor is the head of the church. No priest is the head of the church. No pope is the head of the church. No prophet is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He has the authority. He holds the keys and he can do with it whatever he pleases. Paul says, Jesus is the head of the church, head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence for it. Please the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the head of the church. So we're seeing his creative power. But not only should we adjust our focus and consider his creative power in creation, but I want you to see also we should consider his redemptive power. His redemptive power. Notice verse number 20. Everybody still with me this morning? Yeah. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And so he's talking here about the peace and reconciliation, the restoration that only Jesus makes possible. He's talking about salvation. There is only redemption and reconciliation and peace with God through Jesus. Uh, peace with God is not by being a good person or by trying to be the best version of yourself that you possibly can be. The only way to have peace with God is through his son, Jesus. And so here Paul is talking to the church about his redemptive power, uh, this power to bring peace. But then I love verse number 21. It says this, and you, and you. Sometimes there is a disconnect when we read scripture and we think, okay, yeah, the God of creation, that's good. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And okay, Colossae, okay, cool. Yeah, that's great. And, and okay, you know, uh, uh, these things, and we kind of disconnect them from reality. But I love what Paul does here. He says, yeah, we're talking about creation. We're talking about his power. We're talking about how wonderful Jesus is. But then he says, and you. He says, let's bring it home. Let's make it real personal. Let's make it real practical. Let's talk about you. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, you. You, you. He, he says, let's talk about the individual. I'm thankful today that, yes, God cares about creation. And, yes, God cares about the church, the global church, and the local church. But I'm thankful today that God cares about the individual. And the next time the devil jumps on your back and says that God doesn't care about you, just remember that you are the crown of his creation, that you are his masterpiece, that he loves you more than you could ever imagine. And Paul says, you. Let's bring on. Let's talk about you for a moment. Let, let's talk about how this applies to us. I don't want this just to be head knowledge. No, this has real life ramifications for us. He says, and you, and he's going to talk about our lives, you. He's going to talk about you. He's going to talk about you and me. And he's going to talk about our past, present, future. He's going to kind of sum it all up in, in these short verses, our past, present, future. Are you ready for it? He says, and you who are sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, that was our past. We were alienated. Before Christ, we were separated from a holy God. Our sin created a divide that we could not cross on our own. There was this alienation. There was this separation from us. And all. There's no way that we could cross the divide on our own. That's our past. We were alienated from God. And so that's our past, but then our present. Uh, our present is this. It's found uh, in this verse, in verse number uh, 22. It says this, our present, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and 
unreprovable in his sight. And so what this is talking about here is the work that Christ is doing within us. It's a present work. I want to present you holy, unblameable, unreprovable. And so this is the sanctification process that God loves you too much to leave you the same. Our past, we were separated from God, but now once he reconciles us, uh, he wants to create in us these good works. Unblameable and uh, unreprovable. Unblameable means this, without blemish. Unreprovable means free from accusation. To live your life even free from the accusation. You know, we have a, we have a policy here in our staff team and in our, in, in our offices that if we're going to counsel, if we're going to have an appointment, uh, we're not going to meet as, as staff men with uh, a, uh, a female in isolation. We're never going to be behind closed doors. Now, you might say that's something that's old-fashioned. That's, that's, that's taking a little too, that's unnecessary. But hey, uh, it's hard to be accused of something when the door is always wide open. We want to live unreprovable, free from even the accusation. And so Paul says, hey, your past, you were alienated, you were separated, but now in your present, uh, God is doing a work in you. You are not saved by good works, but you are saved to good works. This is the sanctifying work that God is doing within you. So your past, your present, but then your future. Notice what he says in verse 23. He says, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's your future, the hope. What is our hope? The hope, hope that is laid up for us in heaven that we know where we're going when we die. We have a future that is settled and secure for us. Hey, this should cause our faith to be unshakable. This is good news. This world is just temporary. We're just passing through, but we have a future that is settled for us in heaven. And so Paul says, you, your past, sinful, uh, your present, uh, Christ is doing a work in you and your future is secured in heaven uh, for you, past, present, future. And so uh, when we are, when we're going through a difficult season, when it seems like our faith is shaken, we have to adjust our focus. Fix our eyes on the image of the invisible God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You'll see his creative power, his redemptive power. Now that leads us to a second thought today. Number two is this, fix your footing. Fix your footing. We adjust our focus and then we fix our footing. Notice verse number 23. He says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away. He's saying, I want you to fix your footing to have a strong, secure stance so that when the storms of life come and when false doctrine comes, you'll be able to withstand those attacks. You're going to stand secure. You're going to fix your footing. You're not going to be moved away. Now, there's two areas in which we should stand firm. The first is we should stand firm in the truth. In verse number 23, it says this, if you continue in the faith, the faith. Now, when he says the faith here, he's not just simply talking about having faith, having trust, and believing in something. He's saying the faith. It's talking about the collection of doctrine that the apostles delivered, that the church received. Uh, they were talking about that uh, collectively. The faith, the, the faith that you received. Jude said the same thing in Jude 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. And Jude said, hey, you should contend, you should fight, you should stand for the faith, that doctrine that you received, which was once delivered unto the saints. And so uh, we should stand firm in the truth. Now, there is an all-out assault on truth in our culture today. It's very subjective. It's your truth. It's my truth. It's, hey, do whatever you feel is right, and uh, truth is watered down. But we have to understand that it's our calling. It's our, it's our responsibility as the church, the pillar and the ground of the truth, to stand firm in truth, to be, to be grounded, to be settled, and to be moved not away. Now, the problem is many times we don't know the truth. The problem is in our culture today, many people don't know what the truth is. It's hard to stand firm in something that you don't know. 
That's why C.S. Lewis said, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, the task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. That often we don't know what it is that we believe. And we live in a biblical, illiterate society that doesn't know what the Bible says, that doesn't know what God is teaching. And as a result, we're just kind of falling to our own emotions, falling to whatever it is we feel is right. But our feelings often get it wrong. And so what Paul is saying is you have to stand firm in the faith, in the truth, but not only stand firm in the truth. Then he says, stand firm in the trial. Notice it in verse number 24. He says, who now rejoice in my sufferings. This is always one of those antithetical statements that we see in scripture where we are to rejoice in suffering. How is this even possible? How do you, how do you, how do you have joy and rejoice in suffering in, in a season of difficulty? Arthur Pink said this, though poor in this world's goods, though grieving the loss of loved ones, though suffering pain of body, though harassed by sin and Satan, though hated and persecuted by worldlings, whatever be the case in the lot of the Christian, it is both his privilege and his duty to rejoice in the Lord. To rejoice no matter what I'm going through because I can rejoice in Jesus. My joy is connected to Christ. When I was in high school, I played basketball, and, and one of the teams that we played against had uh, a, a boy who was a teenager. His name was Tyler Wilkerson. Tyler Wilkerson. And, and Tyler was a pastor's son, and I kind of knew of him. We weren't very close, but I knew of him. And he, tragically, when he was in high school, just a teenager, he was involved in a car accident. He lost his life. And I remember going to the funeral for Tyler and at his church there in Long Beach. And we were listening to the funeral. We were listening to people talk. And towards the end of that funeral service, Tyler's parents came up to the front and they sang a duet. They sang a song at their own son's funeral. And it was a song about the hope of heaven. And I'll never forget it. As long as I live, Katie was sitting right next to me. We were listening to them sing this song and there were tears running down their cheeks while at the same time, they had a smile on their face. And the reason they could have a smile on their face, even though they were crying, even though they were mourning, is because they understood the hope of heaven. They understood that Jesus is in control. And they were mourning, they were grieving, but they were able to experience uh, the joy and the peace that only Jesus can deliver when we're hurting, when we're suffering. And Paul is saying to the church, you need to stand firm in the truth but stand firm in the trial because you never know how God is working behind the scenes and his ways are not always plain, but his ways are always perfect. And so we need to fix our footing to stand firm in the truth and stand firm in the trial. Now, this leads us to our third and final thought today. Number three is this, if you're taking notes. Not only do we adjust our focus and fix our footing, but then we have to embrace responsibility. Embrace responsibility. You know one of the greatest things that you can do in your life when you're hurting, uh, when you're experiencing anxiety, when you're going through a difficult season? One of the greatest things that you can do is engage in your mission that God has given you. To embrace the responsibility that God has given you. You know, in the Old Testament, David, King David got into trouble and fell into sin all those times when he didn't take on the responsibility that God had given him. When he decided to take a step back from serving and from responsibility, that's when he fell into sin. And here, Paul is going to talk about our responsibility as we close today. Notice verse number 25. You have a few more minutes left today? He says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation 
of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Dispensation, this word means stewardship. It means a steward or a manager. And so what Paul is saying is that I'm made a minister according to the dispensation of God. I've been made a manager. I have this responsibility, uh, this calling to carry out. He's saying I have this responsibility. Now, this responsibility that Paul had was twofold. Uh, The first was to serve. Notice in verse 25, he says, whereof I am made a minister. A minister. Now, this is the second time that Paul actually used this word minister in, this, in these few short verses. Minister. The word minister has a lot of different, uh, has a lot of different meanings in Scripture. And, and even today, when we use the word minister, it has different meanings. Sometimes people will use the word minister to refer to the office of a pastor. You know, it's, it's the minister. And uh, that's, it's used as a title. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about an occupation. He's not talking about a title. There's another time Paul uses the word minister in 2 Corinthians, and uh, he used this word minister that literally means under rower. It's the only time it's used in Scripture, the under rower. And it's a picture of, of a galley slave in, in a boat in a ship that's, that's beneath the deck, and he's rowing in that ship. He's chained to the ship as a slave, and he's just rowing. And Paul referred to himself as that kind of minister, that I'm just serving. I'm just a galley slave. I'm just here to do whatever God wants me to do. Here, the word minister is the Greek word diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon. It simply means to serve. It actually means to wait on tables, to serve food and water, uh, to be a waiter. How many of you love it when you go to a restaurant and you have a good waiter? Anybody like that? I I always love it when I have a good waiter or waitress. And uh, man, if they're excited about the food, I appreciate that. And if they're telling me all about the menu, I appreciate that. If they fill up my water without me even asking, I appreciate that. When they're constantly checking in, hey, is there anything you need? I appreciate that. How many of you have ever had a waiter or a waitress that did not give you a great experience, right? And how frustrating can that be? Like, where are they? And are they ever going to refill this drink? You know, we all love it when we have a good waiter. And that's what Paul was saying that he desired to be. This is Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known, the one who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the one that started many churches, the one that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, Paul the Apostle, and he says, you know what, I'm just, I'm just waiting tables. I'm just, I'm just a minister. Paul recognized that he was not too big to serve, because if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. And so Paul said, I'm just a minister. I'm just going to wait on tables. I'm just going to serve in the calling that God has for me. And this is what God desires from us, that we would use our gifts, that we would serve in the local church, that we would just wait on tables, whatever needs to be done. You know, during COVID, many things shut down and uh, everything kind of stopped. And and, uh, there was an amusement park in Mission Beach. And uh, there's this roller coaster there in Mission Beach called the Great Dipper, I believe. And uh, everything closed down during COVID, but the Great Dipper, it kept on running. And uh, in fact, they determined that this roller coaster needed to run 12 times a day in order to maintain good, proper working condition. And if it didn't run, uh, they they thought that it would just deteriorate and it wouldn't work. And so what they did was they just filled the roller coaster with stuffed animals and uh, they put stuffed animals in them. and uh, then, then they just let the roller coaster go 12 times a day. Why? They wanted to keep it in good working condition. <laughs> Can I tell you that God has given you spiritual gifts? And if you don't exercise those gifts, they will deteriorate. That God wants you to serve, to keep those gifts in in good working condition. God has called us to serve. Serving is something that we, as a church, uh, it's not something that we want from you. It's something we want for you. It's not about, hey, what can we get? No, no, no. It's, it's how can we give? Serving is the greatest privilege that we have to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hey, how much he's done for me, it makes sense to just give my life to him. It makes sense to serve, to be a minister, just to wait on tables, whatever needs to be done. And so 
our responsibility in serving, but then also in speaking. Let's close out the text. Notice it in verse 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints. Now, in the Old Testament, they had prophecies concerning the Messiah, but it was a mystery of how it was all going to work in the church, and they didn't understand this fully. But when Jesus came, they started to see things clearly. And Paul says, now this mystery has been revealed to whom God would make known. Everybody say, make known. Make it known. Make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which Christ is in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man. We, we've got to tell someone about the good news of Jesus. We've got to preach. We've got to declare. We've got to warn every man. We want to make him known. Several years ago, I saw an ad for Converse shoes, and uh, uh, it was on Instagram, and it popped up, and, and it had this ad with Converse shoes, and, and, the, and the tagline for the ad said, make your presence known. Like when you walk into a room, make sure that your shoes just make your presence known. You want people to check those out. You want to make a statement. Make your presence known. You know, the, the, the reality is, as followers of Jesus, our responsibility is not to make our presence known, but it is to make his presence known. Paul says, I'm just a minister, and I'm just trying to serve. I'm trying to speak up. Can I just remind our church today, we have something to say. We know about the good news of the gospel, the love of Jesus that he has for all of humanity. How selfish would it be and how foolish would it be for us to keep that to ourselves? Paul said, I'm trying to preach. I'm trying to make this message known. Why are we starting a third service on October 23rd? To make room for more, to make his presence known. It's not about us. It's not about making Rock Hill famous. It's about making Jesus famous. It's about reaching people with the gospel. And so Paul was saying, man, I'm serving and, and, and I'm, I'm speaking. This is the responsibility that God has given me. And when, the next time you're hurting, the next time you're filled with anxiety and your faith is shaken and you're discombobulated and you're disoriented, embrace the responsibility that God has given you. Determine, I'm just going to keep on being faithful. I'm going to keep on moving forward. I'm going to keep on serving. I'm going to keep on speaking. I'm going to trust God's timing. I'm going to trust his ways, even when it doesn't make sense to me. Now, perhaps you're here today and we're talking about making Jesus known and we're talking about having an unshakable faith, but you're not sure where your faith currently lies. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online and you've never placed your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. I want you to see verse number 20. It says this, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, Jesus lived a perfect life and Paul was saying, just remember about the peace that he made available through the blood of his cross. His blood was the, the payment for your sin and for my sin. All of us were born with a sin nature. We've all done wrong. And the only way that we can have peace with God, the only way that we can have a home in heaven is by placing our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not about what we bring to the table and how great we are. No, we're sinners in need of a savior. We all fall short. But we can experience that reconciliation, that restored relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never done that, if you're watching online and you've never received that gift of salvation, today can be the day of salvation for you. You can believe that Jesus died on the cross and shed his own blood for you. And three days later, he rose again, defeating death, defeating sin defeating the grave so that we could have a home in heaven forever. As we close today, I want to read the final verse of chapter one. And as I do, I would encourage you to join me in standing. 
verse number 29. We're learning to adjust our focus. Got to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our footing, to stand firm in the truth, stand firm in the trial, to embrace responsibility, to serve and to speak. And notice how Paul closes it out in verse 29. He says, whereunto I also labor, serving the Lord takes effort. It's not always easy. He says, I labor striving according to his working. Watch this. Which works in me mightily. Paul says, yes, I'm laboring. Yes, I'm striving. Yes, I'm trying my best. But ultimately, I recognize that I'm not enough. Yeah, I'm going to do my part. But ultimately, I realize that I will fall short. But I'm thankful that it's Christ that is available, that is working in me. I am not enough, but he is enough because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Paul said, yes, I'm going to move forward. Yes, I'm going to try to have an unshakable faith. But ultimately, I recognize it's Christ working in me. I'm going to depend on him. There's going to be some ups and downs, but ultimately, the closer that we get to Jesus, we can truly have an unshakable faith. He's working in us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today. Today, it's my prayer that some of you today would be